Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah Gregory, and I'm the adult discipleship pastor here at the church. And because I have been around here for about 30 years, some of you know that I am the older sister to a younger brother. He's about two years younger than me, and when we were growing up, I prayed, played a pretty typical oldest child role. Read, I was bossy, okay? Um, I was a rule follower, and I, for the most part, was well-behaved, or at least was sneaky about it when I was not well-behaved. Um, my brother was a little less cautious than me, and so he got into trouble a little bit more frequently, probably because he was just a little less sneaky than I was. But there were a few times that I can remember vividly in my childhood that I knew my brother had done something that would probably get him in trouble, and as the obnoxious tattletale that I was as a child, uh, I would run to my parents and tell them, and then I would stand back, and I would wait for them to take away his Game Boy privileges or his TV privileges or would uh, wait to ground him from hanging out with his friends. I stood back, expectant for him to get the punishment he deserved for something silly like not cleaning his room in the required time frame or eating a snack after he had been told he couldn't have another snack, right? Uh, I stood back smugly waiting for my parents' just punishment for his rule-breaking. And a few of those times, I can remember my parents asking my brother if he was sorry, and when he said that he was, uh, they just didn't punish him. Now, this provoked outrage in me. There are rules, you see. Rules like you shouldn't call your sister names, or you shouldn't throw pond slime on her, which is a true story that happened, but I'm pretty sure he did get in trouble for that one. Um, or you shouldn't go farther than the specified biking radius around the house. Breaking these rules meant that you deserved punishment, right? Well, apparently not all the time in my parents' eyes. And when my brother got away with something, when my parents decided to dole out mercy instead of punishment, I just got mad because it wasn't fair, right? Now, this is a sentiment that is familiar with our hero, See how I'm using air quotes? Our hero of hospitality this week, Jonah. Spoiler alert, Jonah is more of a what-not-to-do, anti-hero sort of story of hospitality. But for those of you who don't know the story or who only know the part where Jonah is swallowed by a whale, uh, here is a recap of what's happening. Before we read our passage today from Jonah 4, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, Okay. So if any of you have been reading and keeping up with the Discipleship on the Move emails that I've been sending out, some of the history of this period of time may be familiar to you. Now, there's a period of time in Israel's history when Israel splits into two parts, okay? There is the southern two kingdoms in the south where Jerusalem is, and then there are ten kingdoms in the north that they call Israel. And... Uh, the northern tribes of Israel, when they split apart, pretty quickly got tied up in idol worship and started mixing their religion with the religions of other communities in the north. And God had sent prophets to try to call them back and warn them to come back to God, but they didn't listen. And so eventually, God allowed the nation of Assyria, which is even farther north, to come in and conquer the region. Now, I promise that this is actually important to the rest of the story, so stick with me for a couple more minutes. So Assyria comes down to conquer Israel, and it's important for you to understand that the nation of Assyria was known for being especially violent and evil when they overtook another nation. 
I'm not going to go into details because I know we have kids in the room with us today and people who just generally get queasy around violence. Um, but just know it was bad. They were a violent nation. Um, and the book of Jonah opens by God coming to Jonah, who was an Israelite from this northern kingdom that had been conquered. And God tells him to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, and to tell the nation of Assyria that they were going to be punished for how badly they had behaved toward the nation of Israel. Which, if I were Jonah, I would not want to do also, right? I'd be scared for my life. I'd be worried about what they would do to me. And I would not want to have any interaction with people who likely killed my neighbors and maybe members of my family, So Jonah's response seems fair. Instead of doing what God had asked him to do, go north to Assyria, Jonah hopped on a boat to go the exact opposite direction that God told him to go, and he went to Tarshish. Now, while he's on the boat to Tarshish, God decided to intervene and keep Jonah from running away. So after a sea storm and just a crazy turn of events, the other people on the boat with Jonah decided to throw him overboard to try to appease whatever God had caused this storm. So Jonah's thrown overboard and about to drown when God intervenes again. God provides a giant fish to swallow Jonah, effectively saving his life. The Bible has great stories, doesn't it? What a story. So Jonah spends some time in the belly of the fish or whale or whatever it is and really just starts praising God for sparing his life, for for keeping him from drowning in the sea. And then after that, God tells the fish to spit Jonah up onto dry land. And immediately then, God tells Jonah again to go to Nineveh. Now this time, Jonah decides to obey God and goes to Nineveh and starts telling all the people there that God is going to destroy the city as punishment for their violence and evil. So here's Jonah standing amidst the people who had killed his neighbors, proclaiming God's just judgment and action against the people who so clearly had done wrong. And then something happens that just seems unexpected to me, even though I've read this story a number of times. A nation of people who had flippantly murdered followers of Yahweh, a nation who clearly did not fear this God when they overtook his land, expressed repentance. Now, whether this is genuine repentance or not, it's possible that they were just trying to avoid this punishment that had been promised to them. But either way, they say that they're sorry. And not only did individuals start doing the rituals of repentance in that culture, things like fasting and putting on burlap to show remorse, the king of Nineveh did the same. And he ordered the entire town to demonstrate repentance as well. And the text then says this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And this is where we're going to pick up the sermon text for today. So follow along with me as we read from Jonah 4, which is the final chapter of this crazy story. Remember, God has just decided not to punish Nineveh, and the text says this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall or stop 
by fleeing to Tarshish, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Now Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, it's kind of a strange ending to this story, isn't it? It ends with the question, should I not have concern for Nineveh? Now, we don't know Jonah's response after that. We don't get to hear Jonah argue about how unfair that is again. We don't get to hear more of God's rationale for when he shows judgment or when he shows mercy. This question just hangs in the air. And really, the whole fourth chapter of Jonah, that's what God decides to do. He just leaves Jonah sitting in these questions, sitting in the opportunity for self-reflection. The first question that God asks, and basically repeats twice in this passage, is, is it right that you should be angry when I decide to withhold punishment? Is it right that you should be angry when I decide to show mercy? In the Hebrew, which I don't, I don't dig into Hebrew a lot, to be fair, but this question in the Hebrew, literally translated, was fascinating to me. It's literally translated something that sounds more like this. Is it good that this burns you? What a question, huh? Is it good that this burns you? And I love that one time Jonah actually responds to this rhetorical question by saying, yeah, it is which is clearly not the right answer to the question, right? It's not the right answer. But Jonah is so sure. He says, yes, it is. It's good that I'm angry about this. It is good. He is so certain that his anger is justified because the Ninevites had behaved ruthlessly in ways that they could not make right by repenting or changing their behavior. So saying that they were sorry wasn't enough. There needed to be justice. And God was not doling out justice at the moment. God was doling out mercy. And for that, Jonah says, I have every right to be angry. Because you're not being fair, God. You're not following the rules that you set up. 
You were the one, God, who said violence wasn't okay. You were the one who just told me to say that this behavior was going to be punished. You're going back on your word. And I am justified in my anger at God's mercy because what they did was unjust. It was clearly not okay, and I am right to be angry. Now, does this feel familiar to anybody, or is this just me? I think back on my anger at my parents' mercy to my brother, And I felt justified at my anger. Now, the sins of the Ninevites were undoubtedly a much more serious scenario than my parents letting my brother keep his Game Boy privileges after sneaking a snack, okay? But I'm guessing that there are some places that we feel right to be angry that might hit a little closer to home. Things that might burn us, if you will. So let's play out some scenarios, shall we? and see which ones burn you. Let's say, God extends compassion and mercy to the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Let's say, God extends compassion and mercy to the people who are pro-life, even in cases of rape or when it puts the mother's health in danger. Let's say, God extends compassion and mercy to the people who are adamantly pro-choice. Let's say God extends compassion and mercy to your family member who stole money from you to feed their addiction, or to someone who bullies you or bullies your spouse or your children. Let's say God extends compassion and mercy to the person whose theology and faith practice you find abhorrent. Let's say God extends compassion and mercy to perpetrators of gun violence or to Black Lives Matter protesters. Let's say God extends compassion and mercy to Donald Trump or Mike Pence or Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden. Let's say God extends compassion and mercy to those who fly a Confederate flag in their yard. Let's say God extends compassion and mercy to those who burn the American flag in their yard. Let's say God extends compassion and mercy to those who manipulate or take advantage of our aging population. What if God decides not to punish those people? Are you burning yet? Because I am. I could feel the anger burning in me, even typing these questions to put into my sermon. But these are actually comparable scenarios to what Jonah was in, and that's why he was so adamantly furious. We all have people and scenarios that come into our head that we would be furious if God chose to show mercy in where God shows kindness and compassion instead of correction or anger. Now hear me clearly say, God is both just and merciful. And there are multiple places, though, in Scripture that God extends mercy when everyone else in the story thought he should enact justice. He is extra generous when people just want him to be fair. And that's what makes people so mad. And God asks us, is it good that you are burning with anger about this? The people that came into your head and my head as we went through that list are the people that we most need to practice showing hospitality towards. We need to practice seeing even those people in the light of the mercy of God 
and everything on social media, everything in the news, everything all around us is stoking our feelings of righteous anger. Is it good that we feed that? Is it good to justify anger against our enemies when loving our enemies is so central to the gospel of Jesus? We have to practice extending mercy, or at least, if this is all you can do, practice imagining God showing mercy to your enemies. And it's hard, and it's painful, and it may not happen instantaneously, because some things have caused real harm and trauma that need to be dealt with before we as fallible humans can extend mercy and forgiveness. But all of us are still gently being asked by God, is it good that this burns you? Is it right that you are angry at God's mercy? Now, I know that this sermon has been challenging and kind of a bummer, which is probably not what you typically come to church for. Okay, I get it. But here's the good news in the story. God was merciful with Jonah too. And God kept giving Jonah places to practice getting comfortable with the idea of his mercy. When Jonah tried to run from having to watch God's mercy and grace play out, God delivered him by whale to Nineveh. When Jonah left the city to pout, God followed him there and started a conversation with him to prompt him to consider if his angry response to God's mercy was good. And when Jonah still stubbornly chose to cling to his self-righteous sense of justice over God's decision to show mercy, God gave him an object lesson about a tree. And God asked him the same question again. God had Jonah in the school of learning the depths of his mercy and love and grace. And how much more are we here part of that same school? How much more after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the one who forgives his enemies and shows them mercy, even when they accuse and beat and kill him, how much more are we called to keep learning about the grace of Jesus toward our enemies? There is a lot about the Jonah story that frustrates me. But one of the things that I love about it is that the picture of God's mercy and grace is consistent. It is shown to the Ninevites when they repent, but it is shown to Jonah even when he doesn't. In the belly of the whale, Jonah didn't repent. God kept walking with him still. And when Jonah leaves the city to go pout, God doesn't leave him on his own. When instead of repenting, he doubles down on his anger, God stays with him to teach him and give him more places to practice accepting the bigness and the wideness and the unfairness of the mercy of God. So I guess here are my questions for you to ponder as we leave this story of Jonah this morning. Who makes you angry? Is it right for you to be angry if mercy is shown to that group of people? Is it good for you to burn when good things come to them? Instead, 
Could you practice being gracious and compassionate like our God is? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Showing mercy and forgiveness to a group of people is not the same thing as saying their actions are okay, right? And there is definitely a longer conversation that could be had about how and when anger is a valid response to injustice. But for today, I would invite you to sit in the uncomfortable reality of mercy. Because culturally, I don't know that we need help being angry. We do need help extending mercy and forgiveness. And the other question I would pose to you is what place in your life right now is God giving you the opportunity to practice mercy? What are your object lessons right now? Who are the people that you're being invited to practice forgiveness with? And is it possible that God is inviting you to go to, to go towards your Nineveh? to extend the mercy and grace of God, even when you don't want to. Because God is intent upon us learning that he is a God of mercy and forgiveness and generosity, and he will keep us in his school of mercy until we learn more about how big and how wide his mercy extends. Would you pray with me? God, this is one of the hardest parts of following you. And there are ways that I feel justified in the ways that I burn with anger, that I assume that my enemies are your enemies, and that it's time that you show justice. So God, in all of the ways that we are wrong in that, would you forgive us? in all the ways that we are prideful about assuming we know who your enemies are, would you forgive us? And would you keep us attentive to the lessons in your school of mercy and grace that you put before us every day? Would you make us willing to go to Nineveh and to watch and observe your kindness and compassion and generosity towards others? In Jesus' name, amen.